From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Welcome to Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. Welcome along to Travel First. My name's Alex First, and on the journey of life, as we like to call it, Chris Coleman is a steady influence. Chris, good to be with you again. How are you, sir? Oh, well, I've been called many things. I don't think I've ever been called a steady influence before. Well, you, you keep us grounded, which is not a bad thing when you're sort of trying to go outside the square on occasions. We, we do become a little bit obtuse, folks, but, you know, excuse us. That's just life, isn't it? And it's it's a joy to be with you again. <laughs> Last week we were in Gay Paris, and one of the great countries, one of the great cities in the world, of course, Paris. So I was there with my wife, and this is sort of oh, probably going back about 20 months ago or so, and we were catching a shuttle coach from our hotel in Paris to Charles de Gaulle Airport before flying onto London with British Airways, staying on the ground for about three hours, and then flying onto Hong Kong with BA. Now, when we landed in Honkers, we caught a rapid train for the 21-minute journey to Central Station. We then had to wait because we decided we'd catch the free shuttle bus to our hotel. Watch out for that, folks, because when you actually land in Hong Kong, there are some hotels that have got that free shuttle. And we were staying at the Harbour Plaza North Point, where we spent three nights. Let me tell you a little bit about Hong Kong, though. Archaeological findings suggest human activity in Hong Kong dates back more than 30,000 years, which is quite some distance, isn't it? Because we talk about Indigenous Australia dating back tens of thousands of years, and obviously in Hong Kong, they have got a similar pedigree. Hong Kong today, of course, consists of Hong Kong Island, Kowloon Peninsula, and the New Territories. The narrow body of water separating Hong Kong Island and Kowloon Peninsula, Victoria Harbour, is one of the deepest natural maritime ports in the world. And by the way, do you know where the name Hong Kong comes from? Uh, no, I could probably look it up, but I'm taking a guess that you've already done the research for us. I have indeed. Well, it's apparently Cantonese for fragrant harbour. And is derived from the fragrant wood products and incense that were once traded there. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So, before 1842, the name Hong Kong referred to a small inlet, which was one of the first points of contact between British sailors and local fishermen. And the name had often been written as the single word Hong Kong until the government adopted the current form, which is, of course, Hong, space, Kong, in 1926. So before that, it was just a single word joined together with a small K. And Hong Kong has carried many, many nicknames. The most famous amongst those is the Pearl of the Orient, which reflected the impressive night view of the city's light decorations on these skyscrapers along both sides of Victoria Harbour. For those people who go along to Hong Kong, you have got that night impressive lighting every night. And 
On the 1st of July 1997, I remember this, Hong Kong's sovereignty was transferred from the UK to China, marking the end of Hong Kong's 156 years under British colonial rule. So how many people live there now? More than 7 million. One of the world's most densely populated cities. Boy, do you know that when you are in Honkers. We, we spent our few nights, as I say, three nights at the Harbour Plaza North Point. 13 years old when we were there, which is sort of about 18 months to 20 months ago. It's got 669 rooms, including 220, 220 that is, serviced suites, for those who want a bit of a longer stay, in eight different room categories amongst the 669 rooms. That's a fair hotel, let me tell you. It is. Yeah, from, from standard rooms to two-bedroom suites, and it's about 32 floors that we're talking about here. There's a gymnasium, there's an outdoor pool that's closed during winter when we were there. Seven conference rooms that can accommodate between 15 and 300 people. And I mentioned this before because that's how we got there. The hotel operates a free hourly shuttle bus between 7 in the morning and 7 at night, which travels the central station and shopping centres in Causeway Bay and Tai Ku Shing. For those people who might know Tai Ku Shing, the buffet breakfast at the hotel is incredibly extensive. The choice of many hot and cold dishes, treat to look forward to each and every morning, which we certainly did. We spent a lot of time during our seven days in Hong Kong visiting and revisiting markets, the largest of which are called the Ladies Market and Temple Street or the Night Market. So they're alternatives, Temple Street or Night Market, both within close proximity of each other in Kowloon. Also... So I've mentioned Ladies Market, I've men mentioned the Night Market. There's also Stanley Market, which is located on a peninsula on Hong Kong Island. And they, send, they sell everything, Chris, from cheap imitation luxury brand handbags for around 20 bucks each, Australian, and wallets, watches, sunglasses. You've even got cartoon character rubber USB keys, if that is <laughs> your want. I like cartoon characters, Chris. I, I thought I should mention those, yeah. And an extensive array of clothing and footwear for men, women and children. You can pick up imitation designer hoodies, if you're into that, for about 15 or 20 bucks. An imitation designer T-shirt for 10 bucks or less. Lots of souvenirs and trinkets. So, look, I know people say don't buy it because it you know, doesn't do justice to the brands, etc. How can you resist when you're in Hong Kong and you go to the markets? That's what I ask. You either don't go to the markets and then you can resist or you go to the markets and you have a bit of fun and you can bargain with these people. And, you know, if, if you don't bargain with them, you're, you're the one who's silly because really the prices that they start with are ridiculous. And when you finish, you know the way to bargain? You basically get them so offside that they start yelling at you. Then you know you're getting close <laughs> to the market. I taught my kids that I've been to Hong Kong probably oh, 15 times in my life and I taught my kids that very, very early on. You know, when they start swearing at you, you know you're pretty well on the money. So, you know, you can do it however you wish. I, I've got a mate of mine or somebody that I know who doesn't like bargaining. So he reckons that, you know, whatever they tell me, if I want it, I'll buy it. So, so anyway, in, I, in those markets, they factor in the bargaining. That's what they do. They do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the other thing is that if you're buying in bulk and you're buying for friends and family and you're sort of buying, I don't know, five or ten hoodies then, of course, they'll do a deal. I mean, they want, they want the money. And, I mean, some people feel that, oh, well, they're not earning too much anyway, so we've got to give in to their needs. I reckon there's a halfway point. You don't have to go as far as I did. 
but you can you can certainly negotiate and, and most of the time you feel pretty good about yourself if you start and it ends up about half that price then you, you're probably around the money anyway. So. And the other thing is that, as you said, a lot of the stuff you're buying there, of, uh, uh, let's, let's say uh, maybe of dubious provenance. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it, it's all sort of... They, 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 sometimes even the brands are, are misspelt. And, you know, you've heard the stories about, oh, you buy a, um, oh, a T-shirt that's got a, a polo pony on it or it's got a, a Lacoste sticker on it. What and do you mean you watch... you've never heard of Polo Powerful Ebb? Exactly. And well but then then you stick it in the, the washing machine and it shrinks and <laughs> and all of a sudden the little uh, thing that's meant to be on there permanently falls off. Then you know you've got an imitation. Look you know you've got imitations. You're not going to go to a market and get the real thing. Certainly not at the prices that they're they're advocating even in the first instance. So yeah just just recognize that these things are made mainly in China and they are bought for. They're not. They're not going to sell it to you unless they make money. Let's be honest. I and like. My, I like my Nolex watch that you bought for me once, though. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, the most upmarket of the markets is Stanley, followed by the ladies' market. So, <laughs> in that order, you got Stanley, ladies' market, and then the night market. And we literally spent days there, going back and forth from market to market. We also visited another one, a small market on the Hong Kong Island side couple of times so look if you take uh, i'll give you some idea if you take let's say 500 bucks spending money to you to hong kong and most people only stay for two or three days we stayed for seven but if you take 500 bucks and you want to buy this kind of stuff it's likely you'll probably end up with overweight luggage upon your return right so i mean you may be better off sending it back to australia via surface mail or sea mail because I mean, you're allowed 800 bucks a person, I think, with customs these days. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a, let's say you're just going to Hong Kong for a few days, just to sort of R&R, but mainly to do a bit of shopping, you take, you, you can buy 800 bucks worth and, you know, customs won't charge you any, any duty. So, you know, you, I mean, and the reality is that you can keep a record of it or you can get, get some indication, but you can, you can buy a hell of a lot of stuff, let me tell you, for 500 bucks. By the way, you really, I mean, all I can say is if if the storeholders ask you for the equivalent of, let's say, 40 bucks for something, I reckon you should offer them half and then the cat and mouse game begins. That's what I, I kind of did. Mm. And they, they'll sort of look at you askance, but that's okay. And so if you end up paying about two-thirds or whatever, that's probably about where you should end up. Yeah. But this is, you are talking here about, and we should stress, you're talking here about bargaining in the markets. Yeah, in the markets. You know, not we're, we're not about talking bargain. about retail stores in Hong Kong. They don't like being bargained with there. No, no, no. I'm, I, I'm purely and simply talking about the, the markets. No, Nowhere else. And that, that's where we spent most of the time. The easiest way to get around Hong Kong is by purchasing what's called an octopus card. And isn't that and a I, fabulous I, thing? Oh, look, it's both Hong Kong and London, I just love the public transport. I mean, this is a re rechargeable stored value card, which you can use on most forms of public transport, so buses, ferries, trams, and, or underground trails, the trains or the MTR, as it's called. So buses, ferries, trams tr and trains. You can also settle payments at convenience stores, 7-Eleven, you know, supermarkets, fast food restaurants as well by using this card. And for adults, the cost of this is 50 Hong Kong dollars, Chris. That's, that's under 10 Aussie for the card itself. Yeah. And you get that back when you leave the country, right? So you buy the card and then you add, oh, let's say, 100 Hong Kong dollars. That's Ten something bucks. like 
well, that's 20 bucks, mm. less than 20 bucks. It's around about five or six to one, something like that. So less than 20 Aussie at the outset, which you can readily top up. So in other words, 30 Aussie dollars gets you $20 of stored value plus the card itself, and you get the money back when you leave the country. And it's cheaper for children aged three to 11 and for seniors, that initial 50 Hong Kong dollar investment for the card under 10 Aussie dollars, which you get back and a further 20 Hong Kong dollars or below four Aussie dollars at the outset is all you need if, you, if you're if buying for a child. So you're talking about $14 compared to 30. We, um, we after the three nights in the Harbour Plaza North Point, the Harbour Grand Hong Kong Hotel, which also has a free shuttle service, arranged to pick us up because lugging our luggage between hotels would not have been a lot of fun, and it was in the same chain. So the Harbour Grand Hong Kong, without doubt, one of the best establishments I have stayed in. Absolutely extraordinary. While I was there, I noticed that several flight crew were checking in and out of the hotel, and, of course, they always stay in fine establishments, don't they? Fine accommodation. It's located at a place called 23 Oil Street, North Point, less than five minutes' walk to Fortress Hill MTR, or the Underground Rail Station, another way of saying the MTR. And it's a 41-storey, five-star property, which was opened in June 2009. Wait for this, 828 rooms. That's a few. Which includes, yeah, it is. Well, I mentioned the other has in the 600. This is 828. Several, uh, I mean, a lot of service suites for those wanting extended stays. Each hotel room has this spectacular view of Victoria Harbour from where you can view what's called the Symphony of Light, where some of Hong Kong's buildings are lit up at night. That's what I was saying. You can check that out every night. There's a 10-minute laser show at 8 o'clock in the evening during winter, and, of course, it's later in the summer. So we also check that out. 10 minutes, laser show every night. The Harbour Grand Hong Kong has got five restaurants, including what's called Le LE 188 on the top floor, which provides spectacular 188-degree views of Hong Kong and where we had this superb four-course meal on one of our four nights there. So we spent four nights there and three nights at its sister property. And we the food was just outstanding. Le 188 seats 96 people indoors, another 52 outdoors, serves modern European cuisine. We, I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. We also ate a buffet breakfast each morning on the 40, 41st floor, and the chef and the staff bent over backwards to accommodate my healthy food requests. I mean, it was just, they were just wonderful. And it's in that space on the 41st floor that there's a club lounge for those that book into the club floors, which are the top floors in the hotel. And the club facilities extend to unlimited free alcoholic beverages in the evening if you are that way inclined. So you can also enjoy free tea and coffee and non-alcoholic drinks throughout the day. So as you know, I'm a non-drinker. So that you know, it's just that, that I, I think I'm the exception rather than the rule. I might say. <laughs> Especially when it comes to travel writers. Uh, yes, indeed. But I'm not going to I'm not going to besmirch the name of fellow travel writers, <laughs> shall I say? Uh, yeah, look, on the fifth floor is what's called Quan Chok Teen, with a capacity of 105. This is another restaurant serving Cantonese food and award-winning dim sum. And on the third floor is the Harbour Grand Cafe, which seats 256, and it's got the international menu, which caters for breakfast, lunch, and a buffet dinner. So, you know, that's another restaurant. And on the ground floor, there's an intimate Japanese restaurant, which seats 17 people. There's also a lobby lounge 
which serves some food, 48 people indoors, 68 outdoors. So plenty of choices, as I say, in this, uh, in this beautiful Harbour Grand Hong Kong. I mentioned five different restaurant choices. It's also got a gym, outdoor swimming pool, which is closed during winter, eight conference rooms, including the Pillarless Grand Ballroom, which can seat 450 people. Very, very popular venue for weddings. You wouldn't be surprised because it does not have pillars. The hotel is received. That would be why it's called the Pillarless Ballroom, isn't it? That's exactly correct. Yeah, I I, I, I worked this out. You know, you gave us a little sort of slightly obscure clue, but I worked it out. There's no flies on you, Chris. I'm I'm happy to say that. Very, very good. The hotel's received more than 30 awards since it opened, and in 2014, it received the nod for World Business Hotel in the country category. So, World Business Hotel in the country category of the World Luxury Hotel Awards and Certificates of Excellence from TripAdvisor.com. So that's not bad. World Business Hotel. Nice. And, uh, yeah, very good. It also received that from, I'm not familiar with this website, DayoDayo.com, and it got the Best Guest Review Awards from Booking.com. So you're not doing badly if you stay at the Harbour Grand Hong Kong. As I suggested, really, really nice, superb hotel, one of the highlights of our trip. Late in the afternoon, we caught the train to the MTR and walked to the peak tram so we could ride to the top in time to see sunset. We ended up paying a representative of the big bus, hop-on, hop-off bus, about 16 bucks each, my wife and I, to skip the long waiting line, which was estimated, wait for this, to be two hours. <laughs> right? We didn't fancy that, Chris. We thought, no, we want to see the sunset. Instead, it took us only about 20 minutes or so, and the fee we paid also gave us entry to the highest viewing platform once we alighted the tram. The peak, or Victoria Peak, has an altitude of 552 metres, the highest mountain on Hong Kong Island, spectacular views of the city and its harbours, plural. Once you get up there, you can see the world below from many, many vantage points. Among them is a place called the Peak Tower. It's got a wok-shaped roof. It's a viewing platform also known as the Sky Terrace. The Peak Tramway is a funicular railway which carries both tourists and residents to the upper levels of Hong Kong Island, specifically to the peak. And it covers about 1.4 kilometres. It's got an elevation of just under 400 metres. The, steep, the steepest gradient is quite something, 48 degrees. That is mighty, mighty steep. That is steep. You imagine that on a tram. Yeah. Right, so... That's what we did. And the upper terminus is located below the Peak Tower shopping and leisure complex, which is about 150 metres below the summit of Victoria Peak. It was Alexander Finlay Smith who first put the project for Peak Railway onto the drawing board in 1881, when he presented a petition for concession to the Governor of Hong Kong. A couple of years later, the necessary legislation was passed, so that was 1883, and construction began in September 1885 with the line officially opening in May 19, 1888. So drawing board, 1881, opened officially May 1888. Most of the heavy equipment and the rails needed for construction were hauled uphill without mechanical support. Now, just imagine the gradient is 48 degrees. Chris, can <laughs> yeah, you imagine yeah. that? That would just be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe that's not the word that I initially would come to, but there you go. And it was considered revolutionary. You can imagine in Asia a marvel of engineering when it was first constructed. It was 
actually only used initially for residents of Victoria Peak, although despite this, it carried 800 passengers on its first day of operation, right? About, now, to give you some idea, 150,000 in its first year. So that's not bad. You know, you're going back to 1880s. In 1926, the steam engine was replaced by an electric motor. And then in 1956, the Peak Tram was equipped with a new generation of lightweight metal-bodied cars, each of which seated 62 passengers, replacing the wooden-bodied cars. So metal replacing wood, which has really... I mean, these metal-bodied cars have plied the route... Um, well, sorry, the wooden-bodied cars had plied the route since it first opened, and obviously that was going back to 1888, and now, since 1956, they're, they're all lightweight metal-bodied cars. The system was comprehensively rebuilt in 1819, 18, sorry, I'm going to try that again, in 1989 by the Swiss company Von Roll with new track, a computerised control system and two new two-car trams and the tram capacity is now 120 passengers per tram. Previously it was just 62, so almost doubling in terms of capacity. By the time of the Hong Kong handover in 1997, and remember I said in the first year it carried 150,000 passengers. In 1997, it carried 2 million passengers annually. Today, 4 million people ride the peak tram each and every year. So there you go. From humble origins, well, I'm not sure 150,000 is all that humble. It's gone up to 4 million people who travel the tram. And that was really good. I mean, it was a really great trip up to the summit. We do it each time. You should do it on a nice day, So you know, which is not smoggy so that you can look down and, and, and see the beauty of Victoria Harbour and the harbours in general. We took, my wife and I took a five-hour tour of Hong Kong with D for Dog, M for Mary, C for Charlie, DMC Destination Management Company, organised by Creative Holidays in Australia. Now, I've mentioned this to you before. Creative Holidays are the ones that looked after us for a lot of our trip. They are beautiful. They are absolutely wonderful. They can arrange accommodation. They can arrange transfers, they can arrange flights, they can arrange touring, they do all of that sort of stuff and that it was just great. I mean they arranged Paris, London, Dubai, Abu Dhabi as well as Hong Kong for us So, and our entire Hong Kong stay. Can't speak highly enough of Creative Holidays because they arranged all of the tours and the accommodation so everything was really seamless and we just had to turn up and they've been working behind the scenes with its travel agency partners for more than 30 years, Creative Holidays planning and securing these holidays for hundreds of thousands of travellers. And they organise everything from well-priced airfares and hotels to packages, cruises, car hire and one-off expenses. So anyway, that was Creative Holidays who organised Hong Kong and the other cities I've spoken about. And look, we, once we'd done all of this, um, we, we did this, this DMC Destination Management Company five-hour tour. Uh, this was the following day after we'd sort of seen the peak by evening by seeing the, the sunset and we went up there again during the day so so we saw it by night and by day we went up to the peak i reckon that's a great idea we, we've talked about this before up in dubai for example the world's tallest lookout tower the tallest building we went up twice as well because it's an entirely different feel by night with the lights twinkling etc etc and we had a really informative and entertaining guide as well the tour incorporated Aberdeen Floating Village in Aberdeen Harbour. I mentioned there are other harbours as well. And Aberdeen Harbour has some 600 junks that house an estimated 6,000 people. So they're, they're sort of floating, floating boat-type devices. 
in the 19th century, Aberdeen emerged as one of the most important fishing ports in Hong Kong. We took a 25-minute sightseeing ride on a sampan or a wooden boat, and we paid about 12 bucks Australian while we were in Aberdeen Harbour. So that was really good fun. And next stop was this gold and precious stone wholesaler where a staff member showed us what they do there and how they create their rings and bracelets and pendants and so on. So, I mean, a lot of the tours incorporate these these wholesalers where you can save some money when you're buying gold and precious stone ware, you know, jewellery, etc., etc. One thing, though, I would advise is you should know what these prices are in Australia and elsewhere before you sort of fork out. Not that there's, you know, not that it's not legitimate. It is legitimate. It's, but there's some beautiful stuff there. But you should know a little bit about, say, gold prices before you, you fork out, you know, several thousand dollars on something uh, or even several hundred dollars. Then you, know, you basically, once we did the, the tour of the, the, the sort of gold and precious stone wholesaler, then we were free to buy some of their handiwork uh, if, if we so chose. And we then drove to Stanley Market, which I mentioned was the, the sort of most uh, upmarket of the markets. And, and it's, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a nice place. So the, the, basically, the, the tour takes you back to your place of origin, wherever you picked it up. We st- chose to stay on. We decided not to keep on going with the tour because we wanted to spend a few more hours at Stanley Market. And uh, we made our own way back by public bus. It took us about an hour to get back to our hotel. So... It was, it was a good tour, and it's a good way to see Hong Kong if you take one of these sort of half-day tours. As I say, ours was a five-hour tour with DMC Destination Management organised by Creative Holidays. The following day, we did three things that I reckon are must-sees when you visit Hong Kong. First up, we caught the Cross Harbour Ferry across Victoria Harbour to Tsim Sha Tsu. A short five, ten-minute trip gives you great views on both sides of the harbour. And I reckon that Cross Harbour Ferry is the, one of the first things that you should do in Hong Kong. And you know how much it costs you, Chris? Less than 50 <laughs> cents Australian. I've done, I've, cents. Done, I've done the ferry across Hong Kong. It's great. And, yeah, you're right, it's dirt cheap. Yeah, I mean, it is. And, and then we caught the underground train, the MTR, to Wong Tai Sin and the spectacular-looking red and gold temple named Sik Sik Yuen Wong Tai Sin. Are you impressed? You've been practicing. I have. Resplendent with statues and shrines and bridges and ponds and fountains. Very, very, very nice indeed. The day we visited, now get this, turtles, live turtles were piled on top of one another, basking in the sun in one of the water features. I thought that was really quite something. I didn't expect to see turtles piled on turtles. I I actually thought the whole visit was really, really special, this this beautiful red and gold coloured temple. Established in 1921, Siksik Yon, I'm not going to go with the full name, is a religious charitable organisation worshipping Taoism, Buddhism and Confucianism. And its guiding principle is to act benevolently and teach benevolence. I reckon the world could benefit from that, to be quite candid. So that's the Siksik Yuan, the religious charitable organisation. And worshippers and tourists visit regularly. They visit the temple. It's free to enter. More than 10,000 people do every day. There is a lot to see and do. No less than 24 things are outlined on a coloured brochure that we picked up at the temple, and we spent about an hour and a half sort of looking around. It was really quite special. It was initially intended as a private shrine, but in 1956, the government gave approval for public worship, and the main altar was rebuilt in 1969, reopened in 1973. True believers bring nine incense sticks to the temple and burn three at each of the three 
incense offering areas within the, the grounds of the temple. That's why they bring the nine. And that was, yeah, it was a good experience, a really good experience, and I'm pleased we went there. We then caught the MTR to the next station and then visited the beautiful Nan Lian Garden situated at Diamond Hill in Kowloon and connected to the Chi Lin Nunnery. That is set, the Nan Lian Garden, on 35,000 square metres, opened only in November 2006. Both the traditional Chinese garden and the monastic complex are built in the style of the Tang Dynasty, the Chinese Tang Dynasty. Beautiful timber structures, magnificent manicured gardens surrounding a couple of water features, the Lotus Pond and the Blue Pond. The ancient Chinese landscape garden was adorned with springs, hills, trees, flowers and plants, pavilions, winding paths and bridges. This garden was designed according to aesthetic principles, the one that opened in November 2006 that we saw, the Nan Lian Garden. The developer formed hills from rocks and soil, then introduced water to form features such as springs and waterfalls and ponds. Trees were planted before the timber pavilions and bridges were built. A colourful brochure and map shows you just what you have to see, points out 16 separate features of the garden. It is a most tranquil and beautiful setting in the midst of the hustle and bustle that is Hong Kong. Because make no mistake, it is one of the busiest cities that I've yet had the good fortune to visit. So if you are after peace and quiet, Hong Kong doesn't have it unless you go to this garden. Right? I mean, that's, that, that's my experience. This is the place, you know, to chill out. And we spent another one and a half hours there. I mentioned we spent one and a half hours at the temple. We spent one and a half hours in this magnificent Nan Lian garden. It was lovely. Could easily have morphed in three, into three hours had the garden not closed. We, we were there at the very end, basically, at the end of the day. And, and look, I've mentioned the hop-on, hop-off buses. They are a great way to orientate your, around, uh, your way around any great city, such as Hong Kong. We, in Hong Kong, we took a 24-hour uh, pass, 48 hours is also available, on the big bus. That's the one we paid a few days earlier to, to escape a two-hour queue up to the peak. But uh, we, we took a 24-hour pass, during which you've got unlimited rides on four tours lasting from one to two hours each. Right? So we, we saw... I mean, you can see the landmarks of Hong Kong and of Kowloon. You can visit Stanley Market. You can take a night tour. And a brochure containing detailed maps shows you exactly what you will be seeing. And, of course, you can hop on and hop off at any time during that 24 or 48-hour period. Great way to see Hong Kong and you know, do the four tours that they've got. The big bus, the perfect ticket for those who just want to explore the delights of Hong Kong. At night, we, we took a walk along part of Nathan Road, which is the main thoroughfare in Kowloon. Great it's part three, of town. Great yeah, it's a wonderful part of town. That was, we only did that once, unfortunately. It's, it's 3.6 kilometres long, so it's a decent walk, lined with shops and restaurants and, a thro and throngs of tourists. Now, you find yourself stopping constantly, so it could take you several hours to, get to yeah. sort of traverse that 3.6 kilometres, but it's a, it's a great, great thing to do. By the way... We, uh, the next day we were, were heading back to Australia. The hotel, I mean, you know, talk about the hotel being absolutely magnificent. And I, I mentioned that to you. you know, we spent four nights at you know, one of the great hotels that we'd ever stayed in, which was the Harbour Grand Hong Kong. They had prepared a, a breakfast for us because we were leave, leaving so early. I thought that was so nice. Uh, and it just, you know, it, it was a takeaway bag, and we, we then caught the free shuttle bus at 7.30 to Central Station, 7.30 in the morning. We arrived 15 minutes later. And then at Central Station, we checked in our baggage at Central Station with Cathay Pacific because we were flying Cathay back. So we didn't have to lug it to the airport. 
That's an excellent service. Saves a lot of hassle. That's something you should check, depending upon which which carry you're flying back to Australia on. But I love that. And then it was a, a quick 21-minute train journey to the airport where we retrieved what money was left on our octopus cards before a quick visit to the Cathay Pacific Business Class Lounge because we were flying business class. And, and that was great. And after a short train shuttle ride to our gate lounge, we boarded our aircraft soon after 10 in the morning for a 10.20 a.m. departure. And it's not for, for nothing that Cathay Pacific has built this reputation for excellent service and our flight was just fabulous, no exception. Staff were incredibly attentive. Flight landed on time. We left at 10.20 a.m. We arrived at 10.30 p.m. Of course, there's a, there's a time difference, and we'd passed through customs by 11.10 that night. So that was sort of the end of two months on the road, Chris. We, I look, one, Europe was absolutely magnificent. I mean, we, we saw some brilliant, brilliant places, and... If I had to say, I mean, the, the one is better than the other. You can't. It's kind of like, how do you compare children? Yeah, you don't. You, you don't. I mean, we, we loved it all. We loved Switzerland. We loved Stockholm. We loved Copenhagen, Vienna, London. The, the most affordable is Budapest and Prague. They were they were incredibly cost effective. I mean, if you if you're wanting to do sort of some European cities that are affordable. They, those two are more affordable than others. And, of course, they don't have the euro. And that's one of the reasons that they were that people said to me, well, they're the places you need to go to for, for that reason. So, look, I, I would go to all of them, though. I, I loved the Ice Hotel. I mean, wow. If there's an experience to be had, you know, minus, we got to minus 31 and a half degrees. We were sleeping in minus five. It was built cathedral-like, extraordinary, out of the the pure waters of the of the, the river there and then you know every year when when the sun comes out and when the temperature gets a bit too high the, the the hotel goes back into the river i mean in terms of doing something that that's uh, good for the environment he couldn't think of anything better and we had a nice menu from a two-star michelin chef it was just a great experience i could have gladly gone on you know i i would quite happily have traveled for 6 months or 12 months some people don't want to take an eight-week trip uh, because you're living out of a suitcase for all of that time. We sent a lot of stuff back, right? We did from mm. various parts. And I said this to you in one of the earlier episodes of Travel First, that you you really need to check the pricing out because it depends on where you're sending from. Uh, now, obviously, you don't want to lug too much luggage. And we tried to keep as far as possible to 20 kilos a person because, you know, that's doable. And, you know, then you've also got hand luggage. So you've got 20 kilos in, in a bigger thing, and then you've probably got a smaller carry-on luggage. That was more than enough for us, and every time we, we built a, a sort of bank beyond that, we sent back, I don't know, probably four times during our, our eight weeks, and we tried to get as much done as possible. So, in other words, when we got to beyond 10 kilos over the 20, that's when we sent it back. Mm. And it's usually cost-effective to send more back rather than less. That's at least what we found. And some places are, are, are quite reasonable for that. It certainly would be a lot cheaper than having to pay for excess luggage when you land back in Melbourne, you know. Yeah. And you just have to you – know, you just put on the outside of the packaging what it is. And there's some golden rules in terms of sizes and shapes and stuff like that. So just watch out for it all. But, you know, it, it's a, it was a brilliant trip. And, it, you know, Dubai was just amazing too. I mean, people say it's just a, a transit destination. Uh-uh. It's just it, we, we loved it. We would have loved to have stayed more than four nights that we stayed there. 
So we had a wonderful time. Most of it was in Europe, apart from Dubai and Hong Kong. But everything, we, we, we made the journey with a minimum of fuss. We were looked after extremely well by creative holidays and by, on URL, go to europe.com.au, uh, Dubai Tourism and all the other tourism, London and, and, and uh, I mean, we loved, for example, Scotland. We thought that was just mm. special. I want to go back. I, I really want to go back to Scotland, spend a bit more time there. There's so many places to see and do in Europe. We've still got a few to go. I'm hoping to get back there in the not too distant future, Chris, but it really was a spectacular trip that my wife and I took. No, indeed, indeed. A few, a few observations from Hong Kong from a, a short stopover of mine, Alex. Mm, one, one is time your time your visit because there are parts of the year where it is incredibly humid and wet in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So so time your visit there. Uh, there is a gigantic Ferris wheel. Well, there was when I went through. I don't know if it was there when you were there, but there was a gigantic I Ferris see, wheel. I didn't see the Ferris wheel, but uh, maybe maybe I was looking in the wrong direction. Well worth doing. It's right down on the waterfront. Uh, if it's if it, if it is still there, I don't, it certainly looked like a permanent structure when when we went through in early 2015 uh you mentioned briefly the the laser show uh over kowloon that is that is something that really is a must see and if it is even if it is a cloudy and wet night it is still spectacular and in fact i think in some ways a little more spectacular because the beams actually catch the rain and catch the cloud on the way through Ah, so very and by the way the hong kong observation wheel is uh nearly 200 feet or 60 meters tall located on the Central and Wan Chai Reclamation overlooking mm. Victoria Harbour in Hong Kong. So there you go. There yeah. we go. It is, it I'm looking at a photo of it now. So, And it was opened... Well, you, you know what? This must have been around the time we were there mm-hmm. because it opened in December 2014. You've been in Hong Kong more recently than I have been. Yeah, it was um, it was about uh, uh, March, April 2015 that, that I was there, and it is certainly well worth the ride. When we went, it was not busy at all. Like we were able to walk up uh, of an evening, get a ticket, jump on, and, and go for uh, for a very very nice ride. Just the just the two of us in our in our little cabin. The cabins would hold uh, comfortably eight people. Uh, but yeah, it was um, it was a most enjoyable uh, way to, to spend uh, an evening or a, bit, a part of an evening in Hong Kong. It also gave us a great view of the 101, well, not 101, but the, the very tall building across the far side of, of, of the harbour, which mm-hmm. lights up at night a la video game style. Uh, wow. And you can sit there and you can watch representations of Pac-Man and Space Invaders and so on <laughs> and, and other seasonal messages uh, scrolling up the side of the building. Um, the train system, I thought, was absolutely fascinating. Oh, you know, the, the underground train practice. system, it, it's amazing. You can walk from end to end of the trains, which is something that you can't do in a lot of places. Uh, and during the day, uh, say, around lunchtime, very easy to do so. Once the peak hour starts, though, you get on and you don't move because you can't because the trains were absolutely chock-a-block full. Um, and uh, you mentioned as well the the 21-minute uh, the train service to, mm. to the uh, to the new Hong Kong airport, uh, it is fabulous. It, if, if that is not one of the most fabulous pieces of public transport infrastructure I've ever ridden on, I don't know what is. Yeah, uh, I, look, it, I, every city should have one. There's there's no question. But there's the density of population makes it 
almost mandatory, does it not, to have something like that? And, and, and they've done a great job, infrastructure-wise, no question about that at all. I really like Hong Kong. I mean, yeah, look, I mean they, they built the new airport, and when they built the new airport, it was yeah. out from Hong Kong, from, from, from central Hong Kong, so they needed yes. the rapid transit. In, in Australia now, we're, look, we're building a new airport in Sydney's west. There's no rapid link, as far as I'm aware, going to be built at the same time as that airport opens. That's a mistake. You still can't get a train. We've discussed this before, from Melbourne Airport to, to the city of Melbourne. You know, it's yes. something that we don't do well here in Australia, but a lot of other countries do. And this, this train, it's, it's a dedicated line. It goes airport, Qingyi, Kowloon, Hong Kong. That's it. It just goes backwards and forwards. Uh, and has an extension spur to the Asia World Expo if you so desire to go past the airport. But it does it quickly, it does it efficiently, and because people, when they get off trains, don't necessarily get off planes, don't necessarily want to lug baggage all the way to a taxi rank, it's a lot easier. We need to learn this in Australia. Oh, indeed, indeed, Chris. Well, let's let's continue our travel journey next week, and I've got some. Rather, well, you, you've got to talk about uh, Disneyland. That's one thing which we, we need to talk about. Maybe, maybe you can do that next week, eh? You've been listening to Travel First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.